0: Welcome to Books and Beyond, with your hosts, Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and
1: beyond.
0: Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah. Standing there behind the counter, willing to help. With all the problems that I Kiara, I'm here today with Paula Green. Kiara, Paula. Julie Kia Karen,
1: lovely to be here.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Paula is well known to poetry lovers in New Zealand as an accomplished poet herself with over a dozen collections to her name. And as the winner of the 2017 Prime Minister's Award for Poetry and as the person behind the poetry blog New Zealand Poetry Shelf and scores of other poetry sustaining and poetry promoting initiatives for which she has been made justly. And delightfully for me, a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for services to poetry and literature. Congratulations on that, Paula. Thank you. Paula has a new book out following on her wonderful 99 Ways into New Zealand Poetry, which I own a copy of and always enjoy digging into in another way of the 99 Ways. I think I'm about up to 70. She has written wild honey reading new zealand women's poetry it's a beautiful big fat book just out from massey university press and just launched at our central library paula so let's start with wild honey as a bee lover and a poetry lover i found it such an inspired metaphor but tell us about it in the context of the book
1: um it just came to me um Partly perhaps because my partner Michael Hart, Hight, Michael Hart, Michael Hight, Hart and partner, (laughs) (laughs) he paints beehive paintings that he's very well known for. So our house in his studio is always full of beehive paintings that are absolutely beautiful. But I really loved the idea of the beehive as being, being, um a place of transformation it's a place of light and dark it's mysterious it produces something that is sweet and textured and fluent and flowing and I was thinking that writing is like that and for many years women's writing was denigrated for being sweet and it was excluded in so many kinds of ways and we can talk about that later but um I like going back to Refreshing how we view women's writing. And yes, it can be sweet, but if you think of the hive and the bee, there is also sting. There is risk and there is danger. So, you know, the beehive has that. And there is also the way in which the beehive has a life in the wild. You know, there are hives in the wild producing these transformations. Um, and I think New Zealand women's poetry started in the wild. It grew up in the wild. It was outside the the mainstream, the the male-dominated spotlight. So it just seemed perfect. And then Sarah Lang drew, painted this beautiful cover painting um, which has the beehive hanging up in the tree in this gorgeous oaky colour. And then beneath these trees in the manuka, um bearing in the background, she's got this cluster of women ranging from early women poets to contemporary poets picnicking. But it, it's all about conversation, which is to me what poetry is about, conversing. And it's all about kind of quiet, intimate reflection because poetry is a very kind of solitary act. You know, I do it at home alone. It's private, it's secret by myself. But there's also a way in which poetry is... You're part of a community, communities, and it's really important to me that it's like that. So, I'm conversing in this book with all these poets. So, in a way, it's like I'm picnicking with them under the hives across the decades, ranging from the first woman published right through to what's happening now. And, you know, I like the fact that Anna Jackson on the back is up a tree reading a book, and Tusiata Avia is chatting with Moana Baker there and Michelle Leggett's in the back musing with, the, with her guide dog in front of Catherine Mansfield's house so Sarah Lang's hidden all these kind of little secrets and apparently she decided that the woman on the front um, that's Irene Beautre, Fleur Adcock, and Elizabeth Smither are eating honey cake, you know. And then you've got Toussia, i um, sorry, Selena Toussitala Marsh lying back, gazing at the sky, um, dreaming, you know. So I, I love all these little kinds of stories and possibilities. And for me, that's, that's, that's the whole thing about the book. It, it's, it's not something that can be tied down to one one particular thing it it moves in as many directions as possible it was funny
0: when you were talking about the bees, I was thinking about, you, you mentioned communication, poetry to you as a communication. Oh. I was thinking about the bees dancing to oh. show the location of, oh. of um, honey, of flowers that they can, where they can go and gather pollen, the the dance, the bee dance. And the other thing that really came to my mind was um, wild honey. The importance of this is, you know, women were neglected, women poets were... Taken as not serious because they were sweet, but actually wild honey is not always sweet. It's processed honey uh, which is sweet, uh, isn't it? Uh, wild uh, honey has uh, quite a bite. If you get bush honey yeah, or, yeah, or wild yeah. Monica honey, you know?
1: yeah,
0: it's got that dark side. it um got a, it can be bitter, a bit of bitter mixed in with the sweet, which is um, something that really comes out in this book. How you um, engage? I think that what really comes clear looking at this book is that as you said it's not meant to be a formal history it's not what you would have been taught in school it's you engaging with the poems and inviting us to engage with them isn't Mm,
1: it yeah definitely and I feel um (coughs) the way in which I mean it felt like all roads in my life led to this book so you know all the poetry I've written all my degrees at university where which you know my doctorate and my master's were very women focused they were in Italian, but I was looking at women 's issues and women writing and view of all kinds of things you know ideas and heart and politics and so on but um, I decided i would I would build a house and I started with the foundation stone, so I went back to the early women who were first published in English because this is this is a book of reading so by doing that i'm looking at books published so i'm i'm missing i'm missing this huge exciting dynamic movement of slam poetry and performance poetry spoken word poetry and so on that we've got happening in new zealand at the moment and i'm also missing in the early days many women's outlet were magazines so a lot of poetry by women was published in um journals and magazines and they didn't actually get a book published and sometimes they would appear in anthologies in the early days before women weren't you know they were kind of pretty much kept out of anthologies for decades but also women were writing in notebooks and that's that's what I did so I, I began probably when I was a child writing in little notebooks all the way through until um you know my 30s and I never ever said to myself I could be an author it was like my secret thing I never thought it would be something that could go public and it was only when I decided um, I was living in London and I was kind of losing my way and I, f- I suddenly decided I am an author I'm not published but that's what I want to be and I came back to New Zealand and I went to university and that's when I began this kind of road of of being an author and you know, I felt. Um, I think there were probably there were probably a lot of women who had notebooks in the early part of the 20th century, moving right up through into the 1960s, when there were so few women getting books published that didn't actually get like I've been so privileged and lucky to be published that haven't got published so in a sense there's this whole area out there that this book doesn't go to it's it's the private writings It's the writing's not in book form and it's the performance poetry so i'm, I'm looking at yeah the book
0: do you think that, um, I'm reminded of the famous Catherine Mansfield line, you know, oh, to be a writer, a real writer. And do you think that part of that um, reluctance for women to call themselves a real writer is based on, they feel they're a writer and they have things to write, but it's the publication is what's going to mark them as a real writer. And then because they were held back compared to men in terms of um, being picked up by publishers.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's very complicated and it will come down to lack of confidence and self-doubt which I've never got over, you know. I've, I'm I'm a kind of raging pit of anxiety at the moment with this book coming out, you know. I'm full of gladness and love and excitement, but I'm also full of nerves and anxiety and sleepless nights because of this, you know, what have I written here? You know, how will it be received? But now I'm kind of experienced enough to think, hmm, you know, I'm going to run with that. I love, I love the experience of having written this book and I think it's important and I want it to be in the world so I'm going to manage that doubt but there also is the there was a history um, across decades of men saying that's not poetry okay so how do you deal with that how do you deal with Alan Kerno saying, that's not poetry, that doesn't belong in my groundbreaking, and it was groundbreaking, utterly groundbreaking, important anthology, you know, in the 1940s, saying, this is what New Zealand poetry can be, but where are the women? And then in the 1960s, if you look at um, this kind of uprising of young voices making poetry, saying, you know, rebelling against everything that had gone before and um, showing a new way of you know putting a the poetic form on the page breaking up traditional forms There were women, but they were so few that were visible There were women writing, but the ones that got published were so few and again I find it really fascinating that if you go back to the 1960s and the 1970s, where still the men were dominated, even though you've got the women's movement and you've got feminism kind of finding its seeds, you know, and taking off, you have different kinds of things happening. So in the 1970s, you've got Fiona Kidman writing poetry. She began writing by writing poetry. And so she's She's produced books then that were really important to women who were finding their new way in the world, you know, of thinking, I don't have to be tied to the kitchen. I can be a mother, but I can be other things. But then you've got, you know, the odd voice that was breaking out and joining the men and being radical and and, and kind of protesting with how the poem sits on the page. So. Fascinating. Yeah, it's um, funny
0: how, you know, even when I started Auckland Libraries, which I don't consider that long ago because <laughs> I don't think it's it's I don't think of myself as that old to have been there that long. But um, there were the big anthologies there was the poems from the big smoke, speaking of Auckland mm-hmm, since we're in yeah. Auckland. And what was it? Something like a quarter of the poems are written by women? And um, when did that come out in the
1: um, I can't remember yeah. now. But, but it
0: was, but it was in, in what we consider contemporary times. It was sort of like Definitely. the beginning of yeah, contemporary yeah. poetry yeah, yeah. scene, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty amazing. And so what you've done, you mentioned this a while back and I got so caught up in your, um, in what you were saying, but I did want to pick up on that, that you had said, you know, I made the book like a house. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask if you could read, there's a lovely poem that introduces the book and this um, walk through the house. Mm that Paula has built, the house that Paula has built, yeah. and I thought you might read us that beautiful poem.
1: Mm. This poem is by Helen Rickaby, um, which just seems so perfect, and there is a story behind the. I mean, she was she was chuffed to discover this. I mean, she I had to get permission, but she was chuffed to discover that this poem would be at the front of the book, but it's also a poem that is a love poem that she wrote for her husband. And so the love poem that she wrote for her husband is now the way into this book on New Zealand women's poetry, Aotearoa. Calling You Home. This is not a house to be afraid in. It is a house in which I will gather strength. I will pull it to me, wrap myself in it like armour, like armour, like love. Time travels quickly in this house things go missing and only sometimes reappear this is the house where we where we discover one another and ourselves the house where we turn from each other and turn back again here is a rotting bridge here a wall but here is a door and a place I call home
0: now, that's so evocative of that the walls of the house and the door, the house is not a house until it encloses, but it's not a house we want to live in if it doesn't have that exit doesn't isn't that right entrance and exit both is yeah the doorway m- motif is absolutely um really captivating me always has been and i sw- possibly why i love ruined houses with no roofs mm-hmm. <laughs> as you can look up and see the sky yeah yeah, yeah. and the fact in the in the um parts of the house that you walk through the last one isn't it there's the foundation the house and then the last one is through the door through
1: the door we had to go through the door because i basically wanted to um you know, I wanted to go back to the house where women had been kind of placed <laughs> for a great part of the 20th century. I wanted to start with the foundation stones, the first women. So, you know, we have Jessie Mackay, who we have a poetry award, best first book of poetry, Jessie Mackay. No one knew who she was. She was probably the first woman to have a book published in English, and then Blanche Bourne and Eileen Duggan, and then into the house, and I wanted to refresh the fact that women do still write domestic poetry, and we still get people criticising poetry that's domestic, and I feel that subject will never be redundant we will always write domestic poetry because it's a matter that concerns us it's never going to be the same poem but it's always going to be of concern but I wanted to go into the different places and sometimes an object like you know the mirror um the mantelpiece go into different places and refresh how we how we viewed things and it goes back to what you were saying, Karen, about the importance of the opening, of the open door. Because even if you you know, you go into the kitchen, the door is open. There are so many ways to inhabit this room and to write of it. But I needed to go out into the world because um, you know, poets occupy the world and and whether we do it through lived experience or imagination or whatever poetry moves into the world so we move into the garden in the countryside the city and I end up in the sky because the sky for me is is the it's kind of the scape of dream of infinite possibilities of musing and wondering of taking risks you know that horizon line that we we push for and want to go beyond so it felt like the perfect place to to finish um the book it's a lovely mm. idea of the sky as a
0: as a place w- where you actually supersede the limits because i was when you first said sky i was thinking when you said musing you know i was thinking mm. looking at the shapes and clouds and letting the imagination run free but it's also a very it can also be jet trails across yeah, the sky yeah. it can be a very freeing and and um powerful thing mm. and the other thing i wanted to um um express is is when you mentioned the domestic and the, you know, the domestic... Sadly, we still have the domestic goddess as something to aspire to. I mean, sadly, if that's all we aspire to. But um, I loved when you talked about the themes of the... that could be found in women's poetry. You made it very clear to include politics and relations, illness, love, death, and you've got the maternal in there. And I loved the fact that you put maternal rather than children because Mm. the maternal feeling can be expressed in so many ways it's not necessarily about having a child yourself mm. um, it's the same thing I always run into when people want to celebrate Mother's Day I say I want to celebrate all the people out there who've given care more than mm. you know, specifically a mother and and the voice the, the voice being a very important thing in women's poetry isn't it In as something that you um, in, in terms of response we respond to voices don't we
1: mm. and I think I mean, I think, you know, the key aim for this book is it's really simple. It's just to inspire you to pick up a poem and read it and find your own pathways through it. And so there is never going to be a singular recipe for how we write poetry. Or how we read it. Or how we read it, regardless of who we are. And so the voice is so on the move. You know, there there are... I, I wanted it to be as wide-reaching as possible and to have as many different kinds of voices in here as possible. So, you know, you've got, you've got voices who are being experimental and taking risks and, and pushing boundaries, and you've got voices that are, um, you know, like Hera Lindsay Bird a, a new poet on the scene creating waves around the world you know she's pushing pushing what poetry can do um, and moving into being you know quite confessional um, and doing all kinds of different things and l- lots of other contemporary poets are doing the same and then you've got someone like Dinah Hawken who writes with such economy and restraint and stillness and and does want to return to the beauty of the world and way the stone and the tree and the bird are such objects of contemplation you know and wonder and awe and that comes through in her poetry and so you feel um you feel that wonder and that awe and that beauty and it it you know it, it's a matter of, of absorption and stillness in your body, whereas when you're reading Hera Lindsay Bird, um, it's a whole different effect upon you, upon your body. It, it's a kind of like a shock factor, you know, shocking your heart and, ac- and your mind into action. So quite quite different.
0: Yeah, I um, also really appreciated the fact that um, there are parts in the book about um, Maori women's poetry and, um, you know, the political side to that. And the fact that once again, that's not, I love the discussion of the, um, the use of poetry to challenge, um, you know, the dominance of a certain culture and so on. But also the fact that it, it again, allows for so many different voices and so neglected, even worse than politics women poets for so long.
1: Mm, I agree, and that you know, if if we're looking through representation of, of women, which has been dire, it's even worse for Maori and Pacifica women. Um, and uh, it was a it was a challenging thing for me because you know I wanted Maori women poets to be in here, and some of them we know. You know, we know the work of Hini Moana Baker and some of them we don't know. We don't probably know the work of Venice Winera, one of the first Māori women poets to have a book out. Um, and there are a number of Māori women who have come to our attention, like Jackie Sturm, um, but there are equally those that haven't. And I I think it would be really wrong to pigeonhole them and say all these women are writing like that they're writing in a million different kinds of ways just like all women are some of them are writing in a very strong political way that's really important through their voice and what they want to say and they're challenging you know colonialism they're challenging power structures um and some of them are, are writing um from some other kind of experience, like Kitty Pia Piahana Wong, you know, there is some. Again, it goes back to there is an economy and a beauty um, attachment to the real world and all kinds of mm. shifting relationships in her writing. But um, yeah, I think it was very hard for me to write about the poetry as a Pakeha, but I felt that I had to do it. I had to. I had to put them in the book so that their presence is felt and that readers can go in search of them and that somebody, for me, a Māori poet, would write another book. So I would love to see a Māori woman poet writing a book on Māori women's poetry.
0: Oh that's yeah. really that's that's yeah. great. Yeah, I um you know when you talk about the multiplicity of voices, it's also um the, I love the discussion of Roma Potiki in as much as um not only um had a voice but had different voices over time. Like the same mm. poet can evolve and, and speak in different voices at different times in her life.
1: Mm. Yeah, I I I love her poetry and um <coughs> for her language is a political tool but it's a political tool that can be subtle or it can be incredibly direct you know so her poetry does many 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 kinds of things um i'll just read you a little kind of piece from one of her poems it's called i try to imagine and she's reinstating her status as a feminist and an activist and and different kinds of needs and the closing lines are kind of like a chant and she these are the last lines I try to imagine a life where I was not patronized or marginal I try to imagine a life where I get paid for my work I try to imagine a life as a partner with at least an equal say I try to imagine a life
0: that's one of those poems that it's like on instagram when somebody puts up a terrible piece of news and you want to applaud them for putting it up but you're going mm. can i put a like on this you know, mm. it's that is just so beautifully said and i think also you know this idea that i think is in that discussion of romapotiki where you talk about language as something never to be used lightly and when you mentioned earlier pacifica poets um i was thinking of all of that that started a chain in my mind of um you know the the use of poetry in a light uh, excuse me of language in a way that references light things but placed all together create something much stronger than just the the playfulness that you might expect i mean there's just such a i'm I'm just a huge fan of like you say pacifica poetry a lot of it has to be much of it has to be heard Mm. and you and i here cannot give that to people today but um, i want to put a voice out there for the pacific poetry that's happening in New Zealand today which is just um, awesome Mm, and I often use that word
1: I think it I mean there are a lot of Pacifica poetry poets in the book and of course an important one is our um is Selena Tussi Talon Marsh who's just finished her two-year um time as New Zealand Poet Laureate and she's had three books published but she had her toku toku, her talking stick made for her, and she has taken that into so many different places. She's brought poetry into the lives of so many different people, from standing in front of the Queen performing her poem on the you know the anniversary celebration, into schools, um, and just in being such a role model. Yes, for Pacific Pacifica poets, young women, young men but also for other people.
0: Definitely. And I think the thing also is, I was specifically thinking of Selena when I said about the playful use of language. I was thinking mm. of fast-talking PI. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, um, yeah it, uh, Selena, I mean, among everything else, let's say talent. Let's just put the word out there, talent, which kind of sums it up. And we don't have a lot of time left and I absolutely wanted to include another very talented poet who is you yourself, Paula. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm hoping that for you could read us all um, one of your poems in the book.
1: Okay <clears throat> I have a poem in the shoe closet um and which is a section um Michael and our daughters spent 10 days in New York a few years ago and I ended up writing a little book called New York Pocket Book and we went to the immigration island, Ellis Island yep. and I just found it the most moving experience and as you can imagine with what's going on in America even more so and I saw these little boots and I just stared at them for ages, the little boots. To see the little brown boots scuffed at the toes from kicking stones and falling over. With soft red lining and laces left long ago goodness knows where. Oh dear empty boots. Is to fall into the hollow your child's head once left on the pillow. As she dreamt of secret things and to fall yet again. Deeper still into the mysterious hollow of her adolescence with the moon overhead.
0: Paula that's lovely I can see speaking of how poetic voices continue to grow (laughs) yours certainly is that's so lovely my grandfather came through Ellis Island his is one of the names from Bohemia his is one of the names on the Ellis Island wall so um everybody you're just going to have to go out and get this beautiful is it 500 pages yeah, pretty big <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at it. i have a lot of experience with large books and putting them away in libraries it's a big beautiful book and you're all advised to go out and get a hold of it and have a dip into the wild honey thank you so much for coming on paul it's been lovely to have you here.
1: it was a pleasure thank you
0: you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every